Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hello and welcome to this edition of the QUB LawPod. My name is Adam Harkins and I'm a PhD student here at Queen's uh, in the law school. We're joined with Sarah Lagason um, from Rutgers University, who produces her own social sciences uh, podcast, and we're just here to talk up through some of that today. So, Sarah, uh, could you tell us a bit about the podcast that you're involved with and uh, sort of the work you do with those? So the first podcast we produced, and this was when podcasting was sort of brand new, and we had a laptop and really bad microphone and we always recorded in noisy rooms so it was <laughs> there's not high production value but but I was working for a, a magazine that was a publication of the American Sociological Association called Contexts and the nice thing about Contexts is that the pieces are written in a very short uh, accessible kind of straightforward way it's to get away from the jargon of of academic writing uh, the problem was there was often this great backstory behind the pieces and stories from the field and, and how this this research was done that we weren't capturing in the articles with this, with this short space. So we decided we'd start interviewing some of the, the writers of the features, and it was really, really great. I was a graduate student. I got to meet some of my heroes in the field. And the best part was we got to hear about how complicated research was, how the question started this one way and evolved over time. And um, sort of the, the technical aspects of how they did a, did a project, what the barriers were, and it was it was really a rewarding experience. So after um, Context left, it's a it's a magazine that moves editorial offices every few years. So it went on to its next place, and we were having so much fun. We made our own website called the Society Pages, and we had a, a podcast called Office Hours, and it was the same kind of concept where if we had a guest in town. Or if someone published a piece that we really liked, we'd call them and, and we'd do about a 30-minute conversation, just getting the backstory. And then that was was so fun. Um, and we realized we were getting one of the, the most interesting questions that we asked was about methodology. Mm-hmm. And as instructors, we know that methods can be a not very fun class to teach nor take because it's required. It's overly broad. It can be very technical. Students are resistant to it because it utilizes a lot of kind of insider terms and it's just not intuitive. But when we do these interviews about research, the methods question would yield these fascinating answers about access, about ethics, uh, about positionality and reflecting on the work you were doing. So we started a methods podcast and we called it Give Methods a Chance because we are hoping that as a teaching tool, it'll get students to, to give methods a yeah. chance. So would you say that you learned things yourself by doing the podcast the whole way through? Yeah. yeah. I learned that the best researchers have a good sense of humor about what they're doing and that they make mistakes and they take risks. So I think as a graduate student, that was refreshing because when you read a journal article, it looks like it was a pretty smooth project, right? (laughs) And so it definitely dissolved that mythology for me. And I realized that research was this complicated um, and interesting process that that had, you know, it was going to have great yield and, and also 
a lot of lost time and inefficiency and, and, and um, you'd try things that weren't going to work, but that it was okay. And it would eventually mm. get tied up in this neat bow. Uh, so that, so I, I learned that. And, uh, and I also learned that as much as I think academics try to hide it, we're pretty excited about the work that we're doing. And so people would get really just, just kind of, um, they were not only excited, but they were passionate and they really believed in their projects and, and were sort of taught for some reason to take that out of the way that we write. Yeah. And But when you hear it in someone's voice, it's it's really exciting as a listener um, and especially as a student. So do you think that comes through because it's like a conversation, the conversational sort of aspect of podcasting rather than, do you, do you find that better than say like a straight interview would be for a podcast or yeah. what do you think? That's a good insight. I think so. I think that there's sort of a comfort level um, when you're having this exchange. I mean, I know a lot of academics are often nervous about doing an interview with a journalist, right? Because they're afraid yeah. that the, the one sentence out of that 30-minute interview is going to make it in mm-hmm. and it's going to misrepresent their approach. So I think the cool thing about podcasting is that usually the people that produce it are also the intended audience. And that makes the guest kind of more comfortable. Yeah. So you sort of start at this similar ground and you open the door for a, a very expansive conversation because you have some trust there. So I think that's one of the beauties of the fact that you can do a podcast from anywhere. You don't need a lot of equipment to do it. And you can kind of work within your own community of, of other peers um, yeah. to make something. And you, you mentioned how um, people worry about journalists because of the lines. <laughs> have you ever got any, like request to take things out or have you ever had a problem with editing or yeah here and there I think so one thing I learned was um the more junior a person because the the newer they were to their research or to the field the more they prepared for the interview and the more nervous they were about about what they said later so sometimes they call back and say can I just this one part I think I may you know and of course with confidence people were on the other spectrum that had been around for a while, more established. And of course, there's like a reputational thing in academia. Yeah. Um, we're less likely to ask for that change. But I could never predict it. It, was, it surprised <laughs> me sometimes, that the, the requests we would get. But the, the, we were pretty open about it because, you know, the goal of the podcast was to was to to make this space where they could talk about their work and in in the way that they would talk about it with their friends. Yeah. And it wasn't to, you know, trick them or, or yeah, yeah. indict them or, you know, try to catch them on something. So we were pretty, pretty open to it. I think that helped us in the long run. And did, um, with the students, so like you started because of methods and all that, have you had a good response from the students or do you open or do you actively promote it to them? Or Yeah, we get great letters from students. Uh I think that one thing that helps is um, when we would do our methods podcast, we'd talk about a specific project. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you read like a methodology textbook, it's like, here's a survey. And here, yeah. well, it doesn't mean anything. But when you hear, you know, we interviewed Debbie Carr about doing a longitudinal study. And when you actually hear what it's like to sit down and interview the same person year after year or to, to watch people grow and, and then all of a sudden you have something to grab onto. Mm-hmm. And I think for students, that's a really effective tool. And then they can go read her published piece and say, oh, oh, so this is what it looks like when it's finished, yeah. but this is what it felt like to do it. So we so we get emails um, from students a lot that that appreciate sort of the the lived experience that comes out. And and I think that for we hear from a lot of graduate students that I sort of also like we did as the producers um, sort of 
enjoyed the the excitement and the joy that people brought to their projects and felt more uh, empowered to express that and kind of be more creative in their work as, as graduate students. So it certainly worked that way. Another thing we did was uh, we realized that audio is is not for everyone, and it's it can be hard to convince instructors to assign our podcasts in the classroom. So we took some of our favorites and we turned them into essays where we transcribe the podcast and then take that text and turn it into a bit of a story. Mm-hmm. And then we put those together as a collection. So um, from a pedagogical sense, you could take you could listen to our podcast, you could read our podcast, and then you could read the piece that we're discussing and triangulate all three to get a really yeah. big picture of what a project looks like. It gives you gives them more options. Yeah. Exactly. Different learning styles and things like that. Yeah. That's right. Yep. And have they ever tried to get involved or is there an option for them to get involved in the podcast yet? Yeah, we always had this this uh, sort of opportunity, especially for graduate students, that, that if there's someone they really wanted to meet or someone they wanted to interview, but maybe they were a little nervous to send that email, this was a great platform to do it, right? Yeah. So it's structured. You're inherently complimenting them because they're asking them to be yeah. on your podcast. <laughs> it forces you to sit down and read people's work. Yeah. There's a lot of people whose stuff I love, but you you can't read everything. But if I was going to interview them, I'd actually really get into things that they had written and projects they, they had done that I didn't know much about. So I think that um, it can be really beneficial for students in terms of not just the networking, but actually digging into the work and, and getting to know the person that produces it. So, yeah, I mean, and it's, you know, there's a learning curve. We had to learn how to edit Mm-hmm. Um, which is incredibly time-consuming. We had to figure out what microphones to buy, how to get the air conditioning or the heating to turn off in a room. So yeah. there's there's some uh, hiccups along the way, but but it's a great skill to have, especially if you're a qualitative interviewer or a qualitative researcher, getting yeah. some a lot of extra practice um, in this kind of conversation, for me, has been really helpful in, in my research outside of, of doing podcasts. Yeah, we're still learning as well, but we... <laughs> Gladly don't have to worry about um, air conditioning. That's cool in both of us. Yes, right. Um, but that, that's great. Thanks very much for coming along and talking about that. Um, and hope, hopefully that's helpful to our students as well. Yeah, it's great. No, I, I think uh, if given the opportunity, people should not be afraid to participate either as a, as a producer or as an interviewee because um, it's not as scary as you think and, and it's a really valuable product. Thank you. You've been listening to LawPod, an informed take on current events brought to you by the law students and staff at Queen's University Belfast. This episode was produced by Adam Harkins and Richard Somerville. Our theme music is by Colonel Chocolate and the Justice Triangle. And LawPod is funded by Queen's Law School and the Queen's Annual Fund. Thanks to Sarah Lagason for joining us on this episode today. You can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at QBLawPod. For more information, you can also visit our website, lawpod.org and please have a look in the show notes for more information about the topics covered today. You can find us on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Adam Harkins, and this was LawPod.